Entanglement. A Modern Frankenstein. A novel by Drew Bixby. Prologue. The first victim, Adam, remained undiscovered for one day and one night. Even with the office staff buzzing around him, he stood undisturbed in his silent state. Zenon knew as well as anyone in the company that Adam had a quirky reputation in the research company. He didn't consider it unusual to see Adam staring blankly at his cubicle wall, perhaps deep in thought on his next assignment to analyze competition for their customers. He only poked his head in for a short time, but Adam didn't move the entire time. He told himself he would check back later that afternoon to compare progress of their research projects. If he had, he would have been alarmed to find Adam in that same position staring at the same spot. The primitive portion of Zenon's brain inspired him to take a different course that afternoon. Instead of completing his own company analysis, he would partake in drinks with the sales team and their two available and appealing women. Because of Zenon's choice for an exciting evening, Adam spent the night at the office in that same state. Zenon was not alone in misdiagnosing an issue. Adam's awkward habits inspired others to dismiss their observations as character flaws. Within weeks, national and international perceptions would become overattuned to the signs Adam was exhibiting. Anyone within earshot of news would have raised alarm bells. Unfortunate for Adam, he fell victim when the world was still naive. Reaction to Adam's case would be simple curiosity and confusion. Up to this year in human history, there had never been any type of mental, physical, or biological ailment like this. Adam was their introduction, with others soon to follow. By the time Zenon also fell victim months later, the world would be a different place. Zenon would be diagnosed within an hour and panic would ensue in the office. As news of two incidents in the same office rippled across the globe, that panic would ratchet to a new level. By that point, months laden with victims around the world would have absorbed into their concerned minds. They would continue to lack any understanding of the root causes, but that uncertainty would make it all the more threatening to human brains. On that auspicious Thursday afternoon, Adam continued to stand and stare. One of the data analysts shared her concern with Adam's cubicle neighbor about Adam's odd behavior. The neighbor peered over the cubicle wall to see the back of Adam's head only a foot from the cubicle wall. When he noticed that Adam seemed intent upon a project release schedule, his brain convinced him that someone could be preoccupied with such a thing given the impending deadline. He accepted this as fact then communicated this back to the colleague, feeling an unconscious need to defend his neighbor. He would learn later that Adam had submitted his research earlier that morning. The new intern was the only one who admitted talking with Adam that afternoon. She had walked into the cube and tried to assess the odd situation. She had said a fond hello and introduced herself as a new analyst. A friend in marketing had forewarned her about Adam so she had persisted into her questions. She never received a response or even the slightest hint that he knew she was there. In subsequent interviews with colleagues, she conceded with reluctance that she stood there uncomfortably for maybe as long as three minutes before walking away and determined to answer the question herself via the internal wiki or the internet. The cleaning woman had entered that section of the office that evening with her cart in tow. As she would relay to her sister months later, the lights in that section were off when she arrived. They were the type of lights which turned off automatically if there was no motion, so she never expected to see anyone in there. She began putting the waste bins on the chairs in preparation for vacuuming the floor when she almost walked into Adam in his cubicle. She screamed at the unexpected encounter. She screamed louder and stumbled backward when the man didn't even flinch at her first scream. She said a few Hail Marys out of sight a few cubes away. 
convinced it must have been a mannequin, she reapproached the figure with her mouth full of prayers to God. She didn't need to poke far or long to realize he was warm and soft. As she pushed her cart out of the room for an early checkout, she also recognized the smell of human waste. She told her sister what she told herself at the time, whatever that was, that was not part of my job. The intern was the first to call 911 on Friday morning. She had uncomfortable dreams about her earlier encounter and ventured further down the cubicles after a few mandatory morning meetings. Upon seeing him, she pulled out her phone, dropped her purse, dialed the three numbers, and was connected in laudable time. She would be impressed with herself for years for being so calm and responsive in the situation. She could not explain then or later how no one else had noticed up to that point. Yet, despite her quick response, she felt guilt at not responding the day before. One of Adam's cubicle neighbors heard Adam's phone go unanswered throughout the day on Thursday and Friday. He never bothered to call out to Adam or poke his head in. He figured Adam was just as heads down as he was. His interest was piqued when he heard Brenda's call outside his cubicle. That was enough to incentivize his mind to roll his wheelchair out and over to see for himself. He was too blind to his own morbid curiosity. The scene explained the horrible smell in his nostrils all morning. He had assumed it was the lingering smell of the garbage can which had been left, unemptied, on his desk when he came in. He told himself he wanted to help, but only found himself in the way when they brought in the stretcher. The first paramedic on the scene was unclear how to proceed. The call from dispatch had been hard to decipher. They explained he was conscious but in some catatonic state. Both paramedics were expecting to find the patient prone on the ground after they cleared through the rubberneckers. He saw the other paramedic even reach out as if to catch him when they first saw he was standing. The dispatcher had translated the message that the patient was still standing, but neither paramedic had properly absorbed it until they saw it. That bit of information had been too inconsistent with their notion of a catatonic man. The situation only got stranger. As they attempted to prepare him for the stretcher, Adam responded as though fully conscious and moved with the slightest guidance. Though they were ready to catch him at any point, it was like guiding a dance partner through moves. Once they had him prone, it was easier to categorize him like past patients, but he could see doubt and silent questions in the other paramedic's eyes. Those same looks were contagious among the bystanders. The stillness and composure of his body throughout the process was unsettling. Adam interrupted his blank stare occasionally with a deliberate blank. Each blink was uncomfortably infrequent and just as uncomfortably lackadaisical as though time had been slowed down ten times what was normal. Adam's wife got the message as she was beginning dinner with clients in Poland. She spent over an hour on the phone in the restaurant, in her ride-sharing car, and then the lobby of her hotel. After hearing from three different doctors, she grew more alarmed that they knew nothing. Besides being notably overweight and slightly dehydrated, Adam displayed no helpful clues other than the slow and eerie blinking of the eyes and the almost imperceptible breathing. All his vital signs were acceptable, albeit slowed down. The only comparable statistics were from research studies of people in deep meditation. The pliant nature of his body when guided in one direction or another was also unclassifiable. The doctors explained it was a stroke, but she didn't believe them. They explained it was not a virus, but she didn't believe that either. They had ruled out poisoning, drugs, an insect bite, an allergic reaction, among many other options including some she had suggested. A reporter got tips from two employees at the office. She only followed up because she was at the hospital on Friday for another sensational story. A student who had been hit by a car, driven by his social studies teacher. 
She was in the middle of hoping to uncover that backstory when she turned her attention from the student's family to the activity around Adam's room. The perplexed look on faces leaving the room triggered her alarms. She sensed the story before she knew its merit. She didn't know at the time, but acting on that insight would propel her fame for the next year. A nurse in Adam's ward answered the phone expecting the usual questions and requests. A nurse from an Oregon hospital was calling to reach Adam's current doctor. He was a recognized brain trauma specialist who had been on site for almost two weeks now. She was about to page him when she heard a person in the background saying catatonic, compliant, and other words she remembered themselves saying when Adam first arrived. Shifting medical protocol to the side and letting her curiosity prevail, she proceeded to make a critical connection. A hospital in Oregon had a patient exhibiting the same symptoms as Adam. Unfortunately, Adam was no longer alone. This is Drew Bixby. Entanglement has been a weird fascination for me. I hope you are enjoying the book as much as I've enjoyed putting it together. I do have two requests for you, and both cost no money. First, if you are enjoying this, please share it with others. My initial goal is to get to 1,000 downloads. I need your help to get there. Think of two people you know who enjoy podcasts or enjoy reading sci-fi. Seriously, who comes to mind? Now email them right now with this podcast link. Second, I would love your feedback. I don't believe the book is where it can be. Not yet. It requires a mind collective. It won't be the same as the one in the book. Oops, spoiler. But still, join me, Adam, Lexa, Tristan, Bester, and Nora on Slack. You will get first access to new chapters. All I ask is to join and give me some feedback in Slack. I take it seriously, so you can say, that change was because of me. Tell you what, send an email right now to adam at yellowkayak.org to join the Slack group. Then, send the podcast link to two people you know. I look forward to connecting. Thank you.